chapter 1, Luke chapter 1 now, as we navigate into the word, because our help and hope comes from the maker of heaven who's given to us his word. And we're going to get into a brand new book today, Luke chapter 1, is where we're going to be. And if you are excited uh, about Luke chapter 1, you're right, you should be. And if you're not excited, uh, you should be at least excited that we're done with Ephesians and uh, that we're going to get into Luke chapter 1. And I will make sure that by the time you're done studying uh, the gospel of Luke three years from now that you're excited about it. So I got three years, three years to get you excited. I keep saying three years. It's only going to take like, no, it's going to take three. And uh, uh, so we want to focus on Jesus. And so I'm excited about it. And uh, here's the deal about Luke though. If you could just wrap your mind around this, I'm going to pray in just one minute. But the gospels are so intense and each one is so diverse, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And when, when each one of these writers though had the same goal, and Luke especially, that Luke would write what he wrote and we would study what he studied because Luke had concluded in his day 2,000 years ago this big idea. Jesus is real. Okay? We actually have shirts that say that. We have slogans. We put it on. Jesus is real. Because when you realize Jesus is real, it's not just like, oh, that's what you believe? That's nice. Do you drink decaf or regular? You know? it's, Jesus is real changes everything. Okay? It fuels your faith. It shines light on your darkness. It strengthens your weakness. And I just ask you a few questions. Do you need strength for your weakness during this holiday season? Do you need any fuel for your faith? Do you need any light for the darkness? Do you need anything? Jesus is real, and that changes everything. And the majority of you here today have already had your lives changed, at least from that one time away from Christ, and now you're living with him. It's like, you don't even know, bro, and you're totally different. But guess what? You're on journey. You're on mission. And while you may not have always been walking with Christ, but now you are walking with Christ, you still need fuel, right? You still need light. You still need good news. And getting in the gospel of Luke is going to change your life. Anybody need a life change? Just a little tune-up? Just a little bit? Okay. 17 of you, the rest are doing just fine. Perfect. Perfect. 11 a.m. crowd on fleek. Good job, you guys. We need, we need a life change. I'm the... I don't want to say I'm standing at the front of the boat here in this thing, but I'm, 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 I'm looking to Jesus and putting sermons together and living my life for Christ, and I'll be the first to say, I need my life adjusted daily. Okay, I need everything changed. I need a wake-up call from God daily. I need him to get my attention because I tend to wander, kind of feel like a sheep sometime, and I kind of, oh, what's over here? Is this good to eat? Is this good? Everyone's eating this. I must be should eating it. You know, we start eating this stuff, and the shepherd's like, get in the book. Don't eat that stuff. You know, it's all simple. So as we get into the Gospel of Luke, I just want, today I'm just going to prime the pump as hard as I can, get you guys fired up for having your lives changed, getting some, some light on your path. Luke's Gospel is so crazy because he, of all the other Gospel writers, he uses this phrase. I'm not going to try and say it in the Greek because it just would sound weird. But it's this phrase called preach the gospel. It's not just the gospel, it's preach the gospel. He's the only author to use it. He's a scholar, he's an intellect, he's very smart, very educated Greek guy. And when he, he wrote his gospel, his emphasis was on... The fact that everywhere Jesus went, he was preaching the gospel, like letting people know there's good news in bad news times, okay? That there was light in the darkness. And in Luke here, after Jesus is dead and raised from the dead and raised from the dead and lives forever, said, I got to write this down. Jesus was so on point, so not distracted by the governmental system that was in chaos at that time, much like our own division we're experiencing. Jesus stayed on mission, and I don't know about you, I want to stay on mission, preaching the good news that Jesus is real. Luke's name actually means bright one. Lucas means light. Okay, so he was all about the good news and the brightness of the truth of Jesus Christ everywhere he went. Before I read the first four verses, let's pray together and thank God for his son who is indeed real and would bless this time of study. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for Jesus, that he is real, that he indeed lived the life that we could not live. He did it perfect, and then he died the death. We should all die as a sinner, and he did this, Lord, on purpose for men and for women like us. He had us on his mind when that crown of thorns was pressed into his skull. He had us in his heart when he was poked with that Roman spear. He had his, us and our lives on his back when he was whipped and beaten bloody. All of it was for us what he did. And so it's for Jesus' sake that we thank you. He is real. And as we get into Luke, even today, today's the only day we have. We don't know how much longer we have. 
So we're going to get into the book, and we're going to ask that you would get into us through the book, and that you, Lord, would equip us to be like Luke, to, to learn from this man who gave everything he ever had to make sure other people knew about Jesus. And I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, you'd help me to preach and to teach and to share and help us all to listen. And may we go home, every man, every woman in here, as students of the scriptures, taking our lives very seriously, living in these days, redeeming them, for they are dark and the time is near. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's read verses 1 through 4. Inasmuch. That's a great way to start a letter. He already sounds smart. You know, I don't even know what that means. Inasmuch as many have taken in hand... To set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, well, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus. Look at verse 4, and we'll end with this verse, hopefully. Why? That you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. That you may know the, the certainty, the absolute certainty, the concrete foundation, the validity and the veracity of what you've believed in. That you would be equipped, that you would be founded, that you would be grounded, that you would have an anchor of hope for your soul. That you would know with certainty the things that you've been instructed over. Luke the doctor, Luke the physician, Luke the friend, Luke the beloved, Luke the fellow worker, Luke, Luke, Luke. Luke said, I'm going to write so you know. And in a day where people say, well, what can you really know? Can you really know? Is it, what is truth? And I'm glad it works for you. I'm really proud of you. That's good. But I've got my own set of ways over here and my own set of thoughts. And I kind of just hope that, you know, when I die, I just come back as something better than I was. I look at people who say that. I'm like, you want to come back as something better than you were? I said, you're probably going to come back as a stick then, you know, like looking at your life like a stick. What are you looking at? What happened? How much? You don't, that reincarnation's crazy to think, to even hope in. If I were to come back as something better than I've been, and all I'm saying is I'm honest about how bad I've been, okay, uh, that's not good for me. I need good news, not threats, you know what I'm saying? I need good news. Reincarnation is a threat to me. Not only is it a crazy idea, there's no foundation to it. Luke, on the other hand, says, hey, Theophilus. I'm going to write you a letter because you've already come to this understanding of who Jesus is, but I'm going to go to bat for you, and I'm going to spend my life and my livelihood and my expertise and my wisdom and my skill set to confirm the things that you've already investigated. Luke was an investigator who did more work than, dare I say, you'll ever do to consider the man Jesus Christ. More, I will say it, I guarantee you, he did more work effectively and efficiently, successfully than you'll ever do to come to the conclusion if Jesus is real or not. And he would stand before you and say, trust me, he's real. And he wrote down this book for you and I to study. It's going to take us a while to study. As a matter of fact, uh, you can read the whole book of Luke in just under two hours if you were to sit down at Starbucks with many, many cups of coffee and just read it kind of at a, it's a steady pace. There's 24 chapters, so you could actually read one chapter in the morning and one chapter at noon and one chapter at night, three per day. And then on Sunday, kind of double that up and read all 24 chapters in a week. And you could read the book of Luke every week for the next 50 or 60 weeks as we study through. And you know, just kind of get to, you know, a couple of people are chuckling, the rest of you are taking notes, like, I got it, I got it, you know, going to read this, and let me just go ahead and take kind of a scholastic, um, not scholarly, but a scholastic approach with today's message, because I want to get you ready for Luke as we study it. I want you to appreciate it. It's going to be a lot of head knowledge today in some application, but I want you to, to really be a Bible student that understands the, the sword you hold well in order that when you are called upon to use it in a time of battle, like a swordsman who's done practice and understood the weapon of warfare for us, you know how it works and how strong it really is. And maybe in seasons past, you've asked yourself, why are there four Gospels? You know, there's Matthew, there's Mark, there's Luke, and there's John. If you've ever been a new Christian, you're like, well, I'm going to read the Bible, see what this is all about. So you get to the Gospel of Matthew, the first book in the New Testament, you read it, it's like, seems like it's all about Jesus, wonder what the next book's going to be about, you know, and you flip over to Mark, you're like, Jesus again, what the heck, you know, and you're like, oh, Okay, you know, it's a little bit shorter. It's a shorter gospel. So you read Mark's account, Matthew, Mark, and then you're like, okay, gee, that was cool, a little bit different, you know. And then you read Luke. Luke's all about Jesus again, you know. And you would be just follow. It's on purpose. And then you would get to John. You're like, okay, that was three books all about Jesus. Like, let's get into something, John. Jesus! And 
you need to understand why are there four Gospels all detailing, listen, the same true story from different perspectives. The, the same true events that don't waver, don't change, were, did happen, were implied, and were sent by God. And then the four different perspectives. Matthew has a different, unique perspective than Mark does, and Luke does, and John does. It's important that you know that. I'll use a crude illustration, but it gets the point across at least simply. Imagine if you had four friends. One was your brother, and one was possibly your son, and one was a very good friend, and one was a co-worker, somebody that knew you well, you worked your career with. And upon your exit, they decided to write your memoirs. There would be different emphases on your life based on their experience with you. Like, it would be real fun to read your brother's account of your life. You know, your brother knows you probably better than most. And they, well, let me tell you about my bro, you know, write that down. And your best friend would put you in this kind of category. And maybe your coworker and your, your son would have this other look at you. So these four writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all had a similar experience of the same story. The story didn't change. Now, let me just tell you what their point in writing was. It's, it's important if you're a Bible student, I hope you all are. Matthew, when he wrote his, he wrote his epistle primarily for his Jewish brethren, okay? He was a good Jew, and he loved Jews, and when Jesus came, he was the king of the Jews. And the king of the Jews is very important to the Jews. As a matter of fact, if you go to Jerusalem today, they're still waiting for the king of the Jews, they're still waiting for the Messiah. I was in Israel a couple years ago, and we were driving by. There was these signs on these billboards. I was like, who's that guy? What's he doing? It's political jargon I couldn't understand. And our bus driver said, oh, that's, he's uh, running for the Messiah. He, thinks, he literally thinks he's the Messiah, and he's trying to gather a following. They happen all the time. He's, he's like promoting himself. I was like, wow. And it made me think the Jews are still waiting for the Messiah. Matthew wrote his epistle so they wouldn't miss it. He said, guys, look at the prophecies. And he quotes the Old Testament throughout his book saying, this is the Lion of Judah. This is the Lamb. This is the one. And he had that emphasis. Mark, when he wrote his gospel, the shortest of all gospels, actually wrote it as a secretary to Peter. Peter dictated the story of Jesus to Mark. He wrote it. John Mark got his name after. It's the shortest epistle. And Mark was actually a very young boy when Jesus was on the scene. He actually, John Mark, makes the Bible the first time most people speculate at the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is arrested. John Mark's a young boy there seeing him arrested. And Peter takes out his sword and cuts off Malchus's ear. And the whole thing gets, you know, MMA weird. And Jesus has to fix his ear. And, and the, the Romans show up and everyone flees. And there's a little story in there where this young boy flees and his robe falls off for some reason and he streaks into the forest naked. Everyone's like, what's that guy's problem? That's John Mark. Okay, John Mark. And he came full circle, went on missionary trips with Barnabas, his uncle, and all this stuff. And so Mark, when he wrote his gospel, listen, not like Matthew. Matthew wrote so the Jews would know that Jesus is the king. Don't miss it. So important. Mark, though, wrote his experience through Peter's eyes that Jesus was so, even though he was the king, Man, he was such a servant. He did not, was not afraid to get his fingernails dirty. He was not afraid to get in the muck, in the yuck with people. And Mark helps us to understand that Jesus was a servant, that what he actually did, he was feet on the ground. He actually did the nitty-gritty. One of the most famous verses from Mark 10 is in chapter, or verse 45, where it says, And Jesus Christ came, his own words, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And so Mark makes us understand, helps us to see and value Jesus as the servant to all men. Luke's gospel is different than any of the other gospels in that he, Luke, never knew Jesus. He didn't walk with Jesus. He wasn't with him in the real like these other cats were. And so in order to put his narrative together, he had much research, much data, much interviews, and much work in order to be the investigator that he was to compile Luke's gospel named after him. Here's another thought about Luke. Uh, Luke was a Gentile. He's of Greek descent, and uh, he's not Jewish. And so he, Luke goes down in history as the only Gentile contributor to the New Testament. So of the New Testament, it's just all Jews. God chose Jews to establish the church, and Luke comes on the scene years later. Can I, can I give a hand to writing a book about Jesus? You know, Luke puts it together. He's just a normal Gentile, and if you didn't know this already, I'll tell you right now, you need to pay attention. Luke wrote the book of Luke. He also wrote the book of Acts. He's a Gentile. And if you take the book of Luke and the book of Acts and put them together and elongate them with volume, verses, and words, it has the most verses and words of any contribution in the New Testament combined. Over half of the New Testament is written by Luke, this one just Gentile Greek dude who took his life and dedicated it to making sure Jesus was famous and the church was taken care of. 
He, most people believe, and rightly so, that Paul wrote the most books of the New Testament. Paul wrote 13 books of the New Testament and 14 if you count Hebrews. He's the greatest contributor to books of the New Testament. But as far as volume is concerned, the book we're about to study and its companion book, Luke, I'm sorry, Acts, combine and, and should I say make up the bulk of the New Testament. So if you omit Luke from the writings of the New Testament, you omit more than half of the, test, of the New Testament scriptures we have. The fourth gospel is the gospel of John. And John wrote after the book of Luke, about 20 or 30 years later, Matthew, Mark, and Luke had existed. And John was still on the scene in his 90s. And he looked around at the culture. And the idea of Jesus, the understanding of who the Christ was, was slipping away from the understanding of the church. And so he said, I'm going to tell you exactly who Jesus is. He was not only, like Mark said, 100% man, okay, but he was 100% God. Jesus Christ is God. And so these four gospels are so perfect in balance and they're needed in their expression of who God is in the person of Jesus Christ. And so as we study primarily Luke's gospel, you're going to find all kinds of things that are uh, unique to his gospel and stick out for your life and will equip you in order to live a better life. Life. Luke was uh, penned, and as a matter of fact, today, this is just all kind of outline. It's a real tough sermon for me to preach, so I want to get into the nitty-gritty and the application. I love application Bible teaching. You guys probably know that. I love stories. Here's the deal, though. I'm going to break this down today. I want you to understand Luke the book, okay, because I want you to read it. I really do. I want you to go home and read it. I want you to get into it. And when you, if you know what the book's about, when you're reading it, you'll, you'll get more out of it. Why did Luke say this? Why is Luke including this story? And if you know about the book and its composition and why it's there, you'll be more blessed in your study time. I want you to know about Luke the book, but I also want you to know about Luke the author. Luke the, the guy, the man himself. We'll talk about him in just a few minutes. And I also want you to know about the recipient who the book was penned to. His name's Theophilus. He's a Roman um, dignitary at that time. So first off, I just want you to know about, a little bit about the book and its uniqueness. Number one, it's written around the time 63 A.D. Uh, most people believe that Acts was written around 64 or 65 A.D., uh, right around the same time. Uh, Acts really is just Luke part two. It's the continuation. If you get to the end of Acts... Sorry, if you get to the end of Luke and the beginning of Acts, they're the same story, and it just keeps going. It's a really beautiful read. You can do that on your own time or during the third service when you're not here. Uh, here here's some things that are notable about Luke's gospel. Uh, Luke is the most comprehensive gospel, okay? He documents the story of Jesus all the way before his conception, all the way to his death and ascension, so the timeline. Not the other gospel writers. They don't always include the announcement of Jesus prior to his conception before Mary even had him birthed in her belly all the way to the death, burial, resurrection, and the ascension. Okay? Luke just looks at the whole panorama and says, I'm going I'm to talk about it all. I'm going to be very comprehensive in my efforts here. Number two, uh, Luke is the most universal, not just comprehensive in nature, but universal. Okay? Gentiles are often put in favorable light. None of the other Gospels focus so much on Gentiles and uh, so much on Jesus and his interaction with Gentiles. If you know about Jewish history, the Gentiles were kind of just this background noise, this distraction and really a disease of the culture. So God shows up and says, background noise? Disease of the culture? How about I go make them my best friends? How about I go into the uttermost, not just where you think, but the uttermost to the guttermost. And Jesus would put everyone on their heads as he would equalize and normalize people, okay? Because we're all humans, are we not? We're one big human race. And God, through Jesus Christ, exemplified that, and Luke records that. As a matter of fact, Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 10, Luke's just detailing the story of the church, the history of the church. And in Acts chapter 10, the church goes from just Jews to Gentiles too. And Luke who was a Gentile, includes that in order to elevate Jesus in his reach. It's more universal in nature. It's more comprehensive in nature. Number three, Luke's gospel. I need you to appreciate this book as much as you possibly can. Luke's gospel is uh, one of the most interested in the roles of women, children, social outcasts, and hurting individuals of any of the gospels. Luke records stories that are not included in the other Gospels and how Jesus related to women and to children. In those days, women and children did not have a place in society until Jesus came along. And Jesus said, can I just mess with you all? Can I just show you how heaven looks? And Jesus went off the map, off script, did things that even his buddies were like, we're going to go get some cheeseburgers while you do weird stuff, you know? Read, read John 4. We're gonna do, you're crazy. Like, you're going to get us all killed. And he's like, so? You know, <laughs> true. But, but heaven... 
is upside down compared to earth, which is also upside down. So the Gospel of Luke is also uh, one of the most interested in prayer. Uh, there's seven different references to Jesus praying that are found in this Gospel alone. Okay, seven different insights that no other gospel recorder put in of Jesus praying. Uh, Luke's gospel is one of the most, um, has the most emphasis on the Holy Spirit and joy. Okay, Luke evidently seeing the church grow and investigating and, and interviewing eyewitnesses said there's so much joy from the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's so important. I'm going to emphasize that reality in my gospel lest you miss it. And uh, as I already stated, uh, Luke's gospel uh, writings comprise the majority of the New Testament. Uh, over half. There's actually 1,151 verses in the Gospel of Luke. 568 of those verses are red letters from Jesus himself. Okay, 1,100 verses roughly, over 500 verses from Jesus himself. So if you want to know what Jesus said, read Luke. Half of his Gospel is just verbatim, the red letters, the teachings of Jesus Christ. And Luke goes on record saying it's him and his words that change everything. Uh, Luke includes stories and parables that are not included in any other gospel. That's why I love the gospel of Luke so much because we get such great insight. How many of you ever heard of Mary and Martha? Ever heard of Mary and Martha? It's from the gospel of Luke. No other gospels record it. Okay, their story is in his, his account alone. Um, maybe you've heard of uh, uh, Zacchaeus. You guys ever heard of Zacchaeus? Okay, all the short guys in here are like, yeah, I love Zacchaeus, you know. Uh, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he, and, and uh, he loved trees. So if you're a short guy and you love trees, you'll love Luke, okay? Because <laughs> Luke's the only guy that includes Zacchaeus' story. He climbs that sycamore tree and all the rest. I love the story of Zacchaeus. It's so fun because Zacchaeus is like all of us, I mean, and we'll get to that. And uh, there's all kinds of stories in the Gospel of Luke. He features marginalized people over and over and over in his story. Uh, only Luke has the parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, only Luke uh, has the story of the ten lepers that were healed and cleansed. Uh, only uh, Luke carries the story of the prodigal son, uh, the lost sheep. Uh, Luke also has 18 unique parables that are only found in his epistle. So through his interviews and through his dialogue, he found stories and parables. If you know what a parable is, parable means a story that's told alongside of a truth, paraable, truth. Is, uh, Jesus would tell a story to illustrate a principle that doesn't change. And all those stories, I love stories, and Jesus would tell stories because he was a master teacher of how heaven looks. And so 18 or more stories are included in Luke's gospel in order that we might get heaven and understand it. As I already referenced, he makes more references about women and their stories than any other gospel. Forty-five times in his gospel, Luke focuses on women and their role in the kingdom of heaven. He focuses on marginalized and poor minorities, women destitute and hurting. I love Luke, and I think he's going to be so good for us here at South Beach Church because... Have you, have you looked around our county? Uh, there's other stuff going on in, in the world, and you can look as far as you want. But I'm more concerned about our county and our people. I really am. And there's hurting people right here in our own town, isn't there? There's people all the way down from Florence to, to Yahats to, to Seal Rock to, to Walport and to South Beach. And there's hurting people everywhere. And when you understand that Jesus isn't afraid of hurting people. Jesus isn't afraid of things that go weird and things that go bad when bankruptcy happens and divorce happens and disease happens and termination happens. He's not afraid of that. And I have chosen to plant my roots here. And to be a proclaimer of the good news. My name means bright one as well. And I love the gospel to, to share this. And I could accidentally become scared or inferior in light of all the travesties and devastations around us if I didn't know, uh-uh, Jesus isn't scared of that. Jesus is drawn. Jesus on purpose was born in Bethlehem, dwelt in Jerusalem, lived in Nazareth. Places of deep-seated rebellion and carnage and difficulty and war. And he said, that's a good spot to start saving the world, okay? Before the internet's even invented, Jesus, you know, came into the world. And I want us to be that radical in our thinking. Like when things go bad, when things get weird, when, when you check your bank account, just the simple stuff. And things are out of your control, how much faith do you have? Is it fueled? Is it strong? Do you look at the seasons and the times and the stuff going on and are you firmly plant planted and excited to see God do mighty works in our culture? I'm not so much worried about the White House as I am my own house, okay? I want to see it happen here. And there's people in the White House and all the way across the world that want to see it happen there. But if you and I would just focus and say, I'm going to be the best me I can possibly be. I'm going to read the book. I'm going to be inspired by what the book entails and why it's put together in this way, why Matthew's diverse and Mark is diverse and John is diverse and why the New Testament beginnings is all about the incarnation and life of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to let it then fuel me 
to be an ambassador for Christ because Jesus is real. Now, here's the deal. Check this out. This is still important. You might not retain all this, and I understand, but I want you just by and large to be fired up for the gospel of Luke. Okay? And you might even go to you know, McDonald's for lunch after this and be like, man, I'm so excited. Don't go to McDonald's for lunch. You might go somewhere, wherever you're going for lunch, like, man, I don't, I don't remember half the things Luke said, but I'm pretty impressed with Luke. I, I want to read it again. I want to study it. I love marking my Bible up. I love writing right in it. When somebody says something profound, I just write it right there. Otherwise, I'll forget it. And here's the deal. The first four verses of this gospel are in like classical, koine, upper handed or upper class Greek. It's the best Greek you could possibly put together, scholarly, investigative, reporting. In those first four verses, he says to Theophilus, I wrote this after investigating, after doing due diligence, spending my whole life on this, and I'm presenting to you now my narrative. And then he changes his style of Greek. And the rest of the book is actually put in street terms, street language, normal people. Because while he's an investigator and a scholar, this man, Luke, this book, Luke, he says, I want it to be relevant. I want it to change your life. If you're a believer already, I want it to radically strengthen you. If you're not a believer yet, I want it to change your life. And so he puts it at base level, right there on the ground so we can find it and eat it. And so he changes then his vernacular moving into verses 5. We'll get to that in a couple weeks. So we talked about the book of Luke, just in case you missed what I just said. We talked about the book. All that it entails, the, the, the format, the way it flows. Let me talk to you about the man Luke, okay? Did you know that Luke never mentions himself ever? The guy wrote half the New Testament. And never once he's like, just so you know, it's Luke. Hey, everyone, Luke here, checking in again. <laughs> Chapter 2, again, by Luke. He never mentions himself. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine talking the most of anybody in the entire world about something important and never mentioning yourself? I, I honestly believe that's one of the reasons why God contracted him to use him to this degree because he wasn't in it for himself this is such a huge prerequisite not only to getting into the ministry which we're all in you're all theologians you're all ministers it's a pre to not be into yourself not only is it a prerequisite but it's also necessary for longevity and health in moving forward luke didn't care about himself Never once does he mention himself. Paul, when he mentioned his letters, needed his readers to know. Paul, the apostle of God, uh, to the Gentiles, and he would address all of his letters by himself to these churches. Luke doesn't even care about himself. As a matter of fact, if you take the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, the primary point of the Gospel of Luke is to elevate Jesus in the detailed records. And the primary purpose of the book of Acts is to strengthen the church and to care for God's people. Luke's, listen, Luke's primary purpose, listen, Luke's primary objective was to glorify Jesus and care for the church. And so God says, wow, and you're a Gentile. Wow. Do you have time to write half the New Testament? Is that okay if I use you? I'm going to go to put a little mantle on you. I'm going to give you some gifts because you care about Jesus and the church primarily. And when you care about Jesus and the church primarily, God will give to you platforms. You already have a platform. It's called your pulse. Okay? You already have a platform for influence. You have a platform for making decisions. Your life is your life to expend on anything you wish. And when you choose to live for Jesus in the church, God will gift you. God will use you. God will seek you out. God will anoint you. God will call you. If, you, if I prayed this last night with my wife. If, if God can deem you trustworthy, listen, with his glory. If God can use you to glorify himself and trust you to handle his glory so well that it gets put on Jesus and it gets used for the church and you back off and say, not my glory, not my will, but thy will be done. And I prayed that with my wife as we were going to bed. I said, Lord, would you, would you equip the body to be safe and trusted with your glory? And would you help me, Lord, to be safe with your glory? If you give me, Lord, something to do, may I not take the glory for myself. Like our author, like Luke, he never mentions himself. Instead, he says, Jesus is real. And he uses his whole life to make sure everyone knows it. He could have actually said, read Luke, or read, yeah, read Luke, it's all about Jesus, and, and then read Acts, it's all about the church, and don't forget to pick up my third book, it's all about me and my gardening. It's all, you know, don't forget the third book. It's all about how I do things. He doesn't do that. He says, no, two books and I'm out. Jesus and the church. He doesn't have a, a third installment about himself. His first book on Jesus, his second is on the church. He's incredibly humble. Now, not only was he humble and never mentioned himself, he's also a brilliant scholar. 
Uh, did you know that he was a physician, a, a doctor, a real-time doctor, studied, um, employed? Uh, most likely in that day, doctors were owned by families, and they would be a family doctor, a true family doctor, and used in that way. Most people believe that Theophilus owned Luke as his servant, and Luke studied and, and employed, served Theophilus, and we'll talk about this in a few minutes, but most people believe Theophilus then... Uh, contracted Luke to make sure that these accounts were true and these two letters are given to and authored for Theophilus and all of this makes total sense but he was a brilliant scholar and I'm thankful for that because a lot of people use the argument of Christianity as Christians being brainwashed and as soon as you get saved you better check your brain at the door and just drink the Kool-Aid and don't ask questions and here you have a physician a doctor a Greek who shows up and says how about I just do some interviews for a couple years how about I go to the eyewitnesses? How about I put a detailed account with perfect understanding from the beginning with histori historical veracity that nobody can deny? How about that for your foundation of faith? And if you're a thinker here, a debater, this, this historical evidence compiled by Luke is more concrete than any other theory that the world has built their systems upon right here, the Bible. I guarantee you. I'm thankful for Luke. He's a scholar. He's humble. As I said, he never mentions himself, but his name is mentioned in the Bible. Maybe you know this. Luke's name comes up in the Bible three times. Not, not, not in his writings. Never mentions himself. Doesn't draw attention. Doesn't end his book by saying, signing off, Luke out. <laughs> doesn't say that. Three, listen, I want you to know the character of the guy we're studying. Three times he's mentioned all by Paul. Three different books, Paul mentions Luke. Because Luke became Paul's traveling companion, his personal physician, his good friend. Uh, in Colossians chapter 4, Paul writing says, in talking about Luke, he calls him Luke the Beloved. Can you imagine that? Imagine if Paul had a nickname for you. It's not hard to imagine Paul have nicknames for people. Paul's kind of crazy. But if your nickname was the Beloved, like, whoa. That shows a lot about Luke's character. He was loved by Paul. Not only that, but Luke went on to talk about him in the book of Philemon, and he said, Luke, my fellow worker. Okay, when he talked about Luke, he said, not only do I love him, the guy's not lazy. The guy's here. He's in it to win it. He is such a servant. He's beloved, but he's also a fellow and faithful worker. And the last time he's mentioned ever in Luke's, or sorry, Paul's last letter, 2 Timothy, before he got his head cut off, the last installment from Paul, he mentions Luke again. And when he mentions Luke this time, he doesn't say beloved or fellow worker. He says, Luke alone is with me. Pa Paul's writing to, to Timothy, and he says, I'm all alone. Well, I'm actually not all alone. Demas has left me. Some other cats have left me. Luke alone is here. Luke. Pa Paul's crazy. You know that, right? You already figured that out, Paul? Wherever Paul would go, there was either a riot or a revival. Like one of the two would happen. Okay? And after the revival, there would always be a riot, and then there would be prison time. And so, so, so Paul's fan base would ebb and flow. Like, Paul's, Paul's the man, you know, Paul hoodies and all this stuff. And then Paul would get arrested. Everyone's like, I never had a Paul hoodie, no way. You know? and so people would come and go. Not Luke, though. Luke wouldn't come and go. Luke stayed with him. Luke was there. As a matter of fact, his own words, Luke alone is with me in 2 Timothy. He's faithful. Okay, everyone else gives up. Luke's still here. Everyone else goes home. Luke's still here. Every, everyone else doesn't visit me in prison. Luke comes to visit me in prison. Now, let me just say this, okay? He's not mentioned in the Bible except by Paul's own words. And this is something you young people, if you young people are here, and myself and others and old people too, you need to hear this. <laughs> I don't want to miss anybody. I, lo I love Luke, the, the guy, the author. Because he was fine with and excelled at not being in charge. He was not just fine with, but excelled at. He was fine with and excelled at not being number one, not being the boss, not calling the shots. He was fine with and real good at being a number two or a number three guy. I believe, and I've done the study, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but in God's church, there are more Luke's called than there are Paul's called, Okay. Paul's are far and few between, these leaders, these brilliant minds that lead the church, apostolic ministries, but Paul's only work well with good Luke's behind them, doing what needs to be done, not going belly up, not leaving, being faithful, not being lazy, not quitting. Luke's mentioned by Paul and Paul alone in the scriptures as being one of those guys. And I would just say to the young people, the old people, if you're okay with not being in charge, 
but making sure that which is important is pulled off successfully. It happens that you're able to make sure that the church, make sure that Jesus, make sure that it's taken care of, and you don't need any accolades. You don't even need to put your signature on it or get your name in there. God's going to use you. He's going to give you a platform. But if you've believed the hype of our culture, okay, that says the more followers you have, the more subscribers, the more uh, links, the more likes, the more things, the more you have, the better you are, then you're on a fool's parade pursuing things that will not satisfy you and will not lead you to a life well lived. And I would just say the faithfulness of men and women in the church is what has led the church to be where it is today, okay? Still here, faithfulness, faithfulness. And Luke, man, I just love this guy. He gave everything he had in order to make sure that the gospel was available to, to one man, to Theophilus. That, that people had the book, that people knew who Jesus was, how Jesus interacted with the marginalized. Lest anybody think that God, when he came down, was too good for people. He said, no, you, I'm going to tell you some stories you've probably never heard before. In all my eyewitness accounts, and all my interviews, I found out who Jesus was, the man, God, and how he interacted with people. Luke was okay not being number one. The last thing I want to say about Luke is that he sacrificed his whole life for the gospel. And I really need somebody here to hear this. I don't think everyone's going to hear this. I need somebody here to hear this, though. That to give your dreams, your life, your livelihood, your skill set, your expertise, your comforts and wants for the gospel of Jesus Christ is the right thing to do. To use your platform wherever it is right now for Jesus and the church, like Luke did, is exemplary and right, and God will use that forever to change lives. He sacrificed everything. You know that Luke never had a wife, okay? He didn't have time. He's too busy writing the Bible. Okay, I was thinking about this last night and this morning. I, I love my wife. I've been married for 15 years. I love marriage. Marriage is tough. It goes up and down, I understand, but round it up, I love it. I love my wife. He never got married so he could do what he did. He, he sacrificed something in order that he could serve Jesus. You think he couldn't get married because he was ugly? I mean, here's Luke going to the singles group. Like, oh, yeah, my name's Luke. It means bright one, and I'm a Greek, and I'm, you know, I like to write a little bit here and there. You know, I've got, I've got a few published books. Have you read the Bible yet? That's me. Yeah, you know, and like people are meeting, whoa, this guy's wrote the Bible, you know, and what else do you do, Luke? Well, you know, did I mention I'm a doctor, you know, and, and then I'm single. You think he couldn't get married because he just wasn't, you know, desirable? You think that's the problem? Mm -mm. He could have got married easy. He said, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give of myself, my light, my rights, in order to advance the gospel. I'm just wondering how that applies to you. Maybe you're already married. Well, how, do, how are we going to stay married okay, for Jesus? How are we going to live our lives on purpose? How are we going to sacrifice something? Maybe you're here single and you don't know what the future holds. Lord, you hold the future. Use me how you want. Okay, not only did he not have a wife, he never had kids. I got three kids. I love them to death. I love them. Luke was able to say, you know what? I'm just, that's not going to be my deal. I'm not going to get that. I'm going to let go of that whatever that is for you, in order to advance the kingdom of God, in order to run hard in the paint for Jesus Christ, because Jesus is real. And here I am with a wife and three kids, and my whole life, hopefully you see this, and hopefully it's happening, and hopefully it continues to, is being expended upon that fact. Jesus is real, okay? I want to live and die and be arrested in this town for that message, okay? In that order, because if you live, die, and then get arrested, that's fine, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> he dedicated his whole life. Okay. He used his profession. He, he didn't have a wife. He didn't have kids. He, he did have a profession. He was Paul's doctor. He was Theophilus' doctor. He was a physician. He was very smart and learned. Maybe you're here tonight or today and you're smart and you're educated or you have aspirations to go to college and get a degree and you're thinking, well, maybe I shouldn't go to college uh, so I can serve Jesus. Or maybe you should go to college so you can serve Jesus well. Okay? You do what Jesus said. You want to get educated to serve Jesus? Pfft, wow. Thank you for doing that. We need both camps saying, whatever I, whoever I am, whatever my skill set is, I'm going to use my platform for Christ, whatever skill set I have in order to bless those uh, who are coming up behind me. He sacrificed his whole life for the gospel. I don't have very much time. I ran out of time, actually, so let me go over one more concept. I talked to you about the book of Luke and its value. I talked to you about the man Luke and his character. Let me lastly just talk about the recipient of Luke, Theophilus. Okay, this letter and the next Acts was written to one man, which to me, just let that boggle your mind a little bit. 
Like, I still have emails in my inbox from 2010 I haven't gotten to. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm a little bit lazy when it comes to correspondence with texts and voicemails. I've got like 700 voicemails that still need to be listened to. And, you know, I'm just kind of, I get overwhelmed. And here, this guy looks like, hey, can I just write one guy, one letter that's going to take forever? It's going to take everything I have? And a lot of times we think, well, one person doesn't matter. One project isn't that big a deal. And yet God says, no, you'd be faithful with the little things, and I'll show you what I can do with that. Okay? And may God, may God put somebody on your mind and on your heart to, to reach out to. You have no idea how impacting one young person for young life or one person for a mission trip to Haiti or one young person in a Sunday school class where you say, I'm going to pray for you. I think God's going to use you. One person or one act of forgiveness or kindness or one letter or one text or one smiley face or one like on Facebook. Just do something for somebody. And you don't know how God is going to use that. So their letter was written to one man. And his name, you guys know this, is uh, Theophilus. And it means lover of God. So he had this letter written to him by his servant Luke, and his name means lover of God, Theophilus. Theos is God, and Philemon and Philadelphia, and Philo means love, lover of God. And so it's written to a guy who loves God, but I think even more importantly than that, it's written so he would become a lover of God, the recipient. And when you're studying this book, and when you decide to read it later, and you decide to just go through it, and you come to church day in and day out for the next hundred years, and we're here studying this book, and you say, Lord, what am I, what are we doing? I want to become a lover of God, because check this out. Did you know that loving God is the greatest commandment, and that the second like it, loving your neighbor, fulfills all the commandments? Did you know that God is very well pleased in you when you just love him and love people? Like, eh, you fulfilled the law, you did it. We, we drive around all day, like, wondering, am I breaking the law, am I doing something, you know, is God happy with me? It's like, well... Are you loving God? Yeah. Are you loving people? Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know? Oh, okay, okay. You know, working on that, you know. <laughs> and, and, and when you do those two, straight up, God's like, dude, good job. I love that. I love that. And you read the book. You become a Theophilus. My goal, my hope, my prayer, my commitment is that I would become a Theophilus even more so. That, that Luke Frechette, your pastor, would become more of a lover of God than I am now in order to please my God and to serve the people around me. Uh, lastly, about the Theophilus, uh, the, the recipient, most likely this whole project was funded by Theophilus. That, that is, Luke was his employee, and he said, you know what, I want, I want you to go investigate and write this down. Did you, know that, did you know that putting this book together would not have been easy by any means for a Greek Gentile at that time? The amount of work needed to do the investigative reporting he says he does in verses 1 through 4 to go talk to the eyewitnesses. Oh, you mean Mary's still alive? I better go ask her how that was when Jesus was born of a virgin. I better go have that conversation with her. Oh, you mean there were some wise men? I heard about them. I better go find them and get the details from them. Oh, you mean the demoniac guy that was healed? Better track him down, get his report. Oh, you mean the woman that was healed? I'm a physician. I'll find out. I'll compare notes. I'll call her doctor. We'll see if it was legit. And all Theophilus gave his wealth and resources to make sure that people knew Jesus is real. And I would just say the same is, through, is true with you lovers of God. When you write your checks, when you send people to Haiti, when you do what you do, when you show up to serve on Thanksgiving Day, when you love God, you're going to make sure people love God too. That's what Theophilus did. He joined the, the war, if you would, the, the, the battle, the, the, the plight to make sure that the gospel goes forth. I've got more stuff to say, but I'm out of time. So let me just give you some closing thoughts. And this is probably the most profound one I've got to offer to you today, so I'm just going to give it to you first. Uh, number one, uh, Luke was a Greek Gentile, and by all Jewish standards, he would have been seen as unfit for service to the Lord, not usable. Okay? Imagine, in that time, they were very, like, myopic. Like, oh, you're a Gentile? Yeah, I'm pretty sure you're kindling for hell. That was their conclusion at that time. Read, read it. Oh, you're not in? Wow. Tough, tough, tough. So he, by Jewish standards, by the religious system of the day, Luke, a Greek Gentile, was, oh, yeah, nothing good for you. And God, but God, said, would you just give your life to me, your expertise, your, your future, your, your hope, your, 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 your everything, and I'll use you in ways you have no idea? And so Luke did just that. And God always gets the last laugh. You realize that, right? Okay, God makes the rules up. We don't. And God chose to use a Greek Gentile man who was on the outside looking in to write half of the New Testament. And I would just make this simple application to you. Where, what's your hindrance right now to being used by God, to being important in the kingdom, to stepping into any role whatsoever? Well, I got a dirty past. Got some stuff back there, man, just messed me up. And if you knew, you wouldn't let me serve. Really? Well, I got some stuff. I'm just, I'm not called. I'm just, I'm not, 
what is your excuse? And maybe you need to bring that to the table of communion today and say, Lord, I don't want to blow it. I already have, but I don't want to blow it moving forward. I'm going to give you my past, and if you would use me like you used Luke. You think Luke knew this was, we're going to be talking about him 2,000 years later? I don't think he knew that. So too, when I do what God asks me to do, I don't know what he's going to do, how far he's going to take it, but when you take your little offering and say, Lord, I got two mites, here I'm putting them in the offering plate, Lord, I got five loaves and two fish, a little lunchable, what are you going to do with that? And the Lord multiplies your offering. So do you feel unusable or too messy or maybe even too normal, not good enough? Perfect. Look at Luke and say, right on, and, and sacrifice your life for him. You've already given him your sins, okay, if you're a Christian, and he's forgiven you. That's awesome. Go, go this step further and give him your life. And say, okay, thanks for taking my sins. That was legit. <laughs> but take my life and take my business and take my marriage and take my kids and take my masculinity or my femininity. Take who I am. Take it. I give it to you. And I use it for your glory and walk your path the way that he would have you to live. Uh, second thought, and we're done. There were already reports, and I hope this sparks somebody. I hope it sparks me, let me be honest. There were already reports circulating in that day of the Messiah. There were eyewitnesses around. There was articles and blogs and websites already published. Two of the Gospels were already being read. It had already been, it's already, it's out there. And yet Luke looked around and said, I'm going to tell somebody too. I'm going to take it upon myself to make sure nobody misses it. And logic would say, yeah, but it's already out there. The guy got killed less than a couple dozen years ago. It's already, it's, why would you, it's, here's how it works for me. Maybe it does the same for you. When I talk to secular, non-believing, atheist people, I usually think to myself, well, they've already quantified the evidence, weighed the, the situation and stories, and have concluded that they're not believers because of a long process of thinking and concluding. They've already done that, and they're not believers by choice because they've thought it through real well. That's how I look at people. I respect them that way. Here's the truth. Most people have not had somebody like Luke approach them with the truth on a platter saying, would you, would you want to talk about God? Have you heard the narrative? Have you weighed the evidence? Have you considered the ramifications? Most people haven't had that conversation because guess what happens? When you weigh the evidence, when you have the conversation, when you consider the ramifications, when you do that, guess what happens? You become a believer. The people that are not believers in your circle right now most likely have not had somebody with care and concern like Luke pray for them, approach them, dialogue with them, adopt them, speak with them, and share with them. One time I was on this rafting trip down the Lower Rogue. It was a two-day rafting trip with about 20 people. Three Christians were on that trip, me being one of them. The rest were not. If they found out I was a Christian, I had this conversation at the fireside with an individual named Chris one particular night. We were talking, and he asked me why I was a Christian. I thought it was a silly question. I was like, well, I was, you know, because I'm right, you know. No, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I, I, I said, well, I was, you know, born in a Christian family, and then I went crazy and, you know, kind of ruined my life. And when I called out to Jesus and read the book and went to church, just I got healed. It was legit. I'm, I'm a Christian because this is real. That, that's my story. I asked him the same question. I said, why aren't you a Christian? Chris, I'll never forget his answer. I thought I knew his answer, but I'll never forget his answer. He said, no one ever asked me to be one. Total humility, just straight up, no one ever asked me to be a Christian. And I almost fell off my log into the fire, you know. Like, <laughs> That's why? That's why? When I just thought for sure that he'd read the books and came to the conclusions and went to the seminars and went to the retreats and read Greek and found it all out, just kind of decided I'm not going to be a believer because it's not true. <clears throat> He's not a believer because no one ever took the time to look at him, love him, and invite him to church, invite him to know Jesus. Now, we can't do that with every single person, but I would pray in Jesus' name there's somebody in your life Somebody in the check stand you go to at the grocery store you shop at. Somebody that you share a cubicle with or you known for a long time that's not a believer. They're an atheist. They're secular. And you've concluded, well, that's their choice. That's their wise choice they've come to when in actuality they probably haven't had somebody as nice as Luke come to them and say, can I just help you investigate the, the, the data? Can we just go there in love? Now, I have gone to plenty of people over my span of life trying to convince them that I'm right, they're wrong. That's a little different. You, under, you understand? I'm right, you're wrong, and let me show you how. Okay, I'm going to use my sword. I'm going to cut your head right off. You know, it's different. So I'm going to make sure I preface this. 
with the people that you know that are not believers, that you would befriend them, that you would look at them as prospective Theophiluses, lovers of God, and you would say, I'm a lover of God already. I love Jesus. I love Luke. Who, who, who do I know that doesn't love Jesus yet, that, that could, that, that, that should? And Lord, give me a burden to go crazy like Luke did. Luke went nutso schizo for this. Whole life dedicated to make sure that Theophilus had these books, that he became a lover of God. I'm going to have the worship team come up because I've gone long, and we're going to end with communion and repentance and looking to Jesus and being excited about what God has. You might ask yourself right now, how many verses did we just cover? The answer is none, okay? <laughs> Not even one. So there we go. Father, now we turn to you in prayer before we come to a song in the table of communion, in the midst of life and in the midst of pain and in the midst of carnage. Lord, none of us are escaping this thing without some bumps and bruises. Each one of us in here have a story. And sometimes our stories are fresh, like our church, what we're going through. And there's difficulty right in the middle. And other times, Lord, there's stories in our past where we've gone through it, been there, done that. I can write a book about it and God's given to you comfort and insight and wisdom through your experience and whatever the case may be lord we're gathered here right now at the end of a teaching time looking at the gospel of luke and we submit to you and say lord we can do all things through christ who strengthens us without you we can do nothing but through god all things are possible we'll see that in the gospel of luke and I ask in Jesus' name, Lord, that you would anoint us to take Luke seriously, to be excited about the book, about, Lord, the emphasis that Luke brings out in his book about who Jesus is and how Jesus looked at the hurting, the marginalized, the different, the outcast, and we would become those who look at people who are not like us the same as Jesus looked at them. Lord, change us, and may we be encouraged by the man, Luke. He never even mentioned his own name. Somebody else had to throw him under the bus. Someone else had to mention his name in the Bible. He wouldn't do it himself. Lord, I repent. I re I'll be the first to repent and say, Lord, I spend so much time thinking about myself. I just, I'm sorry. Lord, and I, I, I appreciate the gifts that you've given to each one of us, Lord, and the call in our life to be in the year 2016 and on the brink of 2017 and how important life is in this holiday season to redeem it and talk about Jesus and Merry Christmas and Happy Birthday, Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that we would all take our cues from the man Luke and the way he sacrificed everything for Jesus and the church, for Jesus and the church. And I pray even for every man and woman here right now that would just ask themselves, what sacrifices have you made lately for Jesus and the church? What have you said no to that your flesh said yes to? What have you said yes to that your spirit wanted so badly? Lord, I pray you would inspire us. Lord, we ask that we'd all become lovers of God. I, I just want that, Lord. No, I want nothing more in my life for myself and my kids and my wife and my church to be lovers of God. That we would be infatuated with Jesus. That we would come to services, we would go to other churches, and we would mingle with other Christians because Jesus is there. And we would pray with strangers because Jesus would pray with strangers. And we would give because Jesus would give. And we would smile because Jesus would smile. And we would pray because Jesus would pray. We'd be so happy because Jesus was so happy. And we'd be all about Jesus, Lord. Make us lovers of God. I'll be the first to volunteer and say, Lord, revive me. And if you're here today and you need a revival, you need faith and you need light and you need good news, would you just raise your hand right now and say, yep, Lord, revive, revive me. I'm a little bit downtrodden. I'm a little bit distracted. I'm a little bit messy. I'm a little bit depressed. I'm a little bit broken. Whatever your case is, I need more of you, Jesus. Raise your hand right now and may the Holy Spirit touch you and bless you and move you and cause all things to work together for both things that are happening without or with your participation. That is his will and his glory. And fathers, we come to the table now. We do so with great thanksgiving that Jesus died and that he bled and that he was broken and that he came back to life again conquering sin and death for us for me it's because of Jesus that I can have my life and it's because of Jesus that we do this and it's in his name we pray amen